This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, every Monday I give one of you a hundred bucks to invest in your idea and get to the top. To enter, subscribe to the podcast right now on iTunes and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove it. This week's winner was Jesse from up in Chicago. Coming up tomorrow morning, we speak with James Swanwick, who went from fat to 14K per month with his 30-day challenge. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning, good morning. I'm tucked down here in the Appalachian Mountains in Southwest Virginia, as you know, with my tea, and I'm really excited for you to meet our guest today. His name is Aaron Ross. He's the number one best-selling author of Predictable Revenue. Turn your business into a sales machine with the $100 million best practices of Salesforce.com. The book is called The Sales Bible of Silicon Valley. Now, Aaron is also married with seven going on 12, count that, 12 children. His next book with Jason Lemkin is called From Impossible to Inevitable, How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue. Okay, Aaron, are you ready to take us to the top? Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to yeah. give – your story is so long, and I, we have 15 minutes, so I want to really focus it. Guys, Top Tribe, here's why you want to listen to the, the full episode. Aaron took Salesforce and you know prospected it all the way up to basically $100 million in revenue back between uh, – back in, uh, in early, I think, 2002 to about 2006. And before that, he ran a company that he actually raised capital on. He was, I think, 26 years old, Aaron. You shut it down after raising $5 bucks. I want to start there because a lot of the Top tribe listening in are these companies that have raised venture capital and they realize they're never going to grow into the valuation that they raised at. So (laughs) walk me through the liquidation process of the first business. Well, you know, first I'm going to say, I think when you're young and you haven't done it, or maybe a new entrepreneur, raising money sounds really cool. And then you do it and you're like, fuck. This sucks. (laughs) This can't. So, but I think raising money can be fantastic for the right companies at the right time for the right reason. But a lot of people raise it for the wrong reasons, just to because it's cool, because they think that's what will make their company successful. Anyway, lots of wrong reasons. But in terms of shutting the company down, you know, it was, it was very painful. It was like losing, um, you know, later I got divorced. So that's the only thing I can compare it to is one of the most painful experiences in my life. And I think a lot of it was having the dream die. So all I could say is rather than, you know, it's easy when you're running a company and struggling to deny reality, to try mm-hmm. to believe it, you know, to not just confront the fact that things aren't working. So this and was back was, in this was back in February 1999. How old were you? Were you 26? I was yeah, like 20, maybe 27 by then or 28. Okay. So how did, range. What, walk me through the mechanics again. I'm hoping that you're going to give us some answers. The top tribe can think if they feel like they're stuck in a business and they're never going to go into their valuation, that they can take one or two things to figure out how to shut down in the least painful way possible. So how did you shut down a, 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 your, the lease exchange business? Well, first it was, you know, once we were having cash flow problems to sort of confront who we needed to, how to cut expenses sooner rather than later. Okay. You know, because I, like, I, of course, you know, respected my people. I felt responsible. And there's almost nothing. It's very painful to fire people, especially when you don't want to. Yep. How many did you have? um, We had probably at the time around 50 at some point. 
Okay. And so we, we, you know, we probably had, I don't remember how many people we cut first. It's been a while, but I do know that, you know, usually you're going to need to cut more people than you think sooner. Hmm. That's, I feel you like know? that's always the, <laughs> you all, that, that's always the case. I think when you're shutting down, yeah. huh? But the thing is, the reason why people don't do it is because you hope, well, what if it turns around next month? Yep. And it, it doesn't. It doesn't turn around until it turns around. That could be two months or two years. So it's better to give yourself more runway with cash. You know, and honestly, there are some companies that, like, they're never going to grow into the valuation, but they sort of cut way back and give themselves enough, you know, years of runway so they have a chance of clicking into something that does create much higher growth than they've got now. So, Aaron, real quick, I want your opinion on this before I move into your first day answering 1-800-CALLS at salesforce.com. I just had somebody on yesterday. His name is Ankur. He's building a business. It's doing about 120 grand top line revenue. He's raising at a $30 million pre-money valuation. Are we in a bubble or not? Is that teachable? <laughs> Please don't tell me you're an investor. No, I'm not. It, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. I told him, I had him on the show and I challenged him. I'm like, how are you going to grow into this valuation? Now, he already made money, obviously, so he doesn't need to sell it. But that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that me too. So <laughs> Okay, we'll move on from that. <laughs> yeah, especially in the online education space. It's just, it's hard. It's, it's tough. But, you know, like I'm wrong all the time, but I do think that there's a lot of crazy valuations. And I don't think entrepreneurs really, again, if you haven't done it before, especially realize the price, the cost of raising money, either a lot of money or so the cost of raising money or raising a lot of money or raising money at a high valuation. Yep. Right. Cause it ain't free. Cause if you raise money at 30 million, $30 million pre money, you got to sell for a hundred, you, you got to sell it for a hundred or more before you see anything. Yep. And guys, the term you want to search on that, and again, I'll link to all of this in the show notes, but the term you want to search on what Aaron's talking about is usually something called liquidation preference, Aaron. That's what you're referencing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, again, I'll link to, I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes at uh, nathanlacka.com forward slash the top 118. What I want to get into now with Aaron, again, he is just, I'll tell you what, he's a heavyweight. I, I studied his book. I used it to build Heyo. You guys know about the success of Heyo. It's done so well. Aaron, you checked your ego out the door. Tell me about what the first day answering the 1-800 numbers at Salesforce was like. Yeah. Well, shut down prior business, took some time off. And then, you know, I just, I knew I wanted to learn sales. The only sales job I had at Salesforce, because we're better to learn sales, was answering the 800 line, because all the other, it, that was all they had for sales. So from being CEO of an internet company to sort of the, the most junior spot at a new company. But the first day was exciting. You know, first week or two weeks or three weeks or a month was exciting because it's all new, new people. You know, after about five, you know, six weeks or two months, it started to to drag because you know I was answering the hundred line, respond to inbound leads. You know, it didn't take me very long to start to figure it out. Aaron, I'm going to ask you what your salary was, but let me tell you why. I think there, I think there's so much value to to giving up and just pushing through shitty like things you think are really shitty for the value mm-hmm. of learning. So I think if you share what your salary was when you went in there and you checked your ego, it's going to encourage listeners to also take the same learning based approach. So what was your salary there when you first started? You know, it's probably my total compensation was I think around forty five thousand dollars. Okay, which, so salary would have been maybe thirty five. And that was back again. Give me the year, 2002? 2002. Okay, 2002. So, and I got almost no equity. No equity. tiny. Okay. Very, so, it's very little. Yeah. So what's the next step? Walk us through how you then go from where you started to director of sales and building, basically adding 100 million bucks, I assume, in annual recurring revenue? Yeah. So but I would, actually, I'm gonna, the point you said about people sort of sticking out through tough situations, I mean, I do 
feel like a lot of people end up as whiners when they're, they don't get what they want when they want it. You know, my job isn't, I don't like my job. My manager doesn't support me. My company's <laughs> not interesting. Well, you know, your company's not your mommy or your daddy. Like it's <laughs> half the responsibility is you to figure out how to make things interesting for yourself. Aaron, I feel like you're talking to us millennials. I, I can just feel it hitting me right upside, upside the top of the head. Yeah. Read chapter, <laughs> read chapter seven of the new book. So, well, I want to get, and I want to get, we'll get into that in a bit too. I want to ask some questions about that, but yeah. how'd, you, how'd you get to the director of sales and how'd you grow the business at okay. Salesforce? So along the same lines, all right. So I'm in this, this really low sales job. I just wanted to learn, you know, cause learning is more important than title or money or uh, unless you have family, which is a whole different story. But I just wanted to learn. And after about three months of doing that 800 number job, I just felt like there's nothing to learn. And I was really pushing. I knew I wanted to get into the company. I'm like, I know I can make some kind of big difference here. I don't know what it'll be, but I'll get in and I'll figure it out. So I, I talked, I was talking to a bunch of people. I figured out that there's this problem with creating, you know, pipeline, sales pipeline or leads. Uh, and we call it our enterprise side of the business, like selling to bigger companies. And I just, by talking, I go around talking to people and asking questions and I sort of saw, all right, well, there's this problem and what we're doing to do it isn't really working. They're having a field, you know, our, our salespeople prospect and that's not working. They're having a couple of junior people just make cold calls like that's not working and they're not doing a very good job. I mean, I could, I didn't know anything about it, but I could see they weren't being very focused on it. At yep. it. So I said, Hey, look, you know, give me some, I think I could do something here. Like, give me a shot, give me some time. And they did. I had a, a manager who, who believed in me and said, yeah, let's take three months. And they actually had three months to figure it out. And so it did take me about three months or four months to come up with a system that created, like, repeat, you know, a repeatable prospecting system that created a, a, a predictable way to generate good appointments, like sales appointments at companies that we wanted to get into, even if they'd never heard of us before. So guys, I'm not going to use this time with Aaron to talk about the stra- the sales strategies that he teaches because he does a, a great job of doing that in the books. Again, I'll link to Predictable Revenue and his new book in the show notes at nathanlaka.com forward slash 118. Aaron, this is a bit of a weird question, but I've had Top Tribe listeners before go, Nathan, I don't want to start working at a company unless I can get meaningful equity early on. At what point, as you were becoming clearly a big value contributor at Salesforce, did you have a, a negotiated negotiation with Mark or whoever your boss was? to get more equity in the company? No, I mean, at a junior level, I mean, it depends. By that time, Salesforce was like 150 people. So it was small, but not small enough that I really had a chance to negotiate what I was going to get beyond, you know, very little bit. So I, I think if you're, and there's a lot of value. So a couple of things. First of all, if you have read all these blogs and you're like, jobs suck, <laughs> and say, you know, Shut the fuck up because, you know, where else you can, that's the only place you can get paid to learn. Yep. So the trick is like, what do you want to learn? It's hard to start a business. You know, the thing is all the stories out there make it seem easy for two reasons. Cause those are the stories that get, that are interesting. So they get published and the people who are telling the stories want to sell you something in some way, usually. But the point, starting a company is great. Getting a job is great. How much are you going to learn? So find a job where you'll learn the most. And like what you get paid is not that big a deal in the scheme of things mm-hmm. compared to what you can learn for yourself. Because at some point, if you do want to start your own company, whatever equity you learn is some company, it's usually not going to amount to much. Once in a while, people hit a home run. Once in a very rare while, they'll hit, you know, it's like Facebook or Google money, but so rare. 
Uh, it's, it. it's I wouldn't worry about it. So you, you you didn't really you you weren't able to really capture much of the upside in terms of the little amount of equity that you no. had in Salesforce. Okay, got it. No, I kept getting more. I got promoted a bunch of times, but and I got a little more each time. But you know, it's like I, I say, I started early at Salesforce, but not early enough. Yeah, I, mean, I still have to work. I still have to make money. I want to um, try. But, and, I want to try and quantify this, Aaron, because people will appreciate the story more. Uh, sure. And you can always say no to the answer. But yes or no? Did you make more than ten million dollars just directly off equity at Salesforce? No, I made like $200,000. Okay, 200 grand. See, guys, uh, such an important lesson. Aaron, thanks for sharing that number. You guys got to just hustle, right? The home runs are hard to find. So, Aaron, yeah. let's let's go to the next step. People always tell me, actually, before I go into the books, I want to ask real quick. Um, we had Jim Fowler on back in episode 73, sure. who was Jigsaw. Obviously, you know he sold to you guys. I believe it powers data.com now, uh, and it was like mm -hmm. $150 million, I think, acquisition price. Were you? Did you mm -hmm. lead that acquisition? Were you still at Salesforce or no? No, I, knew, I actually know Jim, but that happened a few years after I left. Okay, got it. Okay, well, we'll skip that. If you guys want to hear Jim's story, though, that's back in episode 73. So, Aaron, the books, the books. People always tell me when you write a book, all you do is you spend a lot of time and you lose a lot of money. Why'd you do it? <laughs> I don't know who's telling you that. <laughs> um, well, first, I think at heart, I am, I'm an author and always have been. That's, you know, even though I do, I'm an entrepreneur and I wear many hats. I think there's a part of me that just is an author. And for other people, so I think one lesson is over, over your life, look, know thyself. You know, what are those things that really call to you and you may ignore for years? But so I think for me, I just am an author. It's important to me to write books because it's important to me to write books. Now, Predictable Revenue was my second book. So what I did was, you know, I did one sort of book as like a practice book. And I self-published mm -hmm. to keep it simple. There's this, I remember I saw this course, write a book on a weekend. I'm like, what? You can do that? <laughs> and it's sort of probably the first time they broke a four-minute mile. People are like, what? You can do that? And then everybody did it. That's funny. So I wrote a book in a weekend. What was that book then, title? I want to go. I want to read that. Uh, it's called CEO Flow: Turn Your Employees into Mini CEOs. Okay, I love that. Okay, so talk so, talk to me about predictable revenue. Did you get? Did you find someone to give you an advance there? And how many copies have you sold? No, I didn't get. I so I self-published. Okay. Again, which there's pros and cons to self-publishing publisher. I'd had a publisher before, but decided to self-publish. So, for example, I got to set what formats it comes out at what price. Great. And to get more royalties, um, I can uh, this time the new book I'm going with the publisher. So that, again, there's pros and cons. But self-published, I could get up quickly. You know, didn't have to be perfect. Uh, I most of it sold over the last four years, probably something fifty thousand copies, which is a wow. lot. Yeah. It's a lot for a business book. I think people say a successful business book might, if it sells 10,000, that's a lot. Especially self-published. Yeah. It's yeah, because it's all been through word of mouth. But the trick with it, I think I wrote that book in over, like, see, 11, say six years. Holy mackerel. So, but it was, it was more like I'd blogged over here and there. And I knew I did have wanted a book, but I just, by, I, by leaving Salesforce and by doing consulting, I took whatever would have been the sort of 2006 version of any kind of sales book. And yep. by, I'd say, consulting and working with people for five years, by the time I actually wrote it, it was a much, much, much better and simpler and distilled book. So the new book, you're working with a publisher. Did the success of your first self-published book, Predictable Revenue, enable you to get, again, a solid business deal, a solid advance and solid royalties on the new book? Uh, no, I don't get shit for advance or royalties <laughs> on the book. So because this, this is how it works is um, – you know, people focus on the advance. They focus on all that stuff that really doesn't matter. It's good for marketing, but you know what matters with the book is reputation, brand, audience. Um, it's like see people. It's right. People have called it your big, uh, big business card. 
So for example, with an advance for the new book, okay, so predictable revenue, um, if there's one lesson there, I'd say is just if you have a book and you publish something, self-publish, and then don't worry about making whatever book. Like I did a practice book before I did a real book. And then yeah. now I'm doing like the next book is going to be even bigger. So I'm sort of Stepping building. Up. Yeah. So this prior book, Predictable Revenue, created more money for me. And I'll explain how, but also an audience and reputation. So down for this book, um, I've got an amazing co-author, Jason Lemkin, who's 10 times as smart as I am. And I've got Wiley, which is the number one book publisher. And Wiley has, has said, and I hope they keep their promise, or is that they are actually going to work to market this book, the new book. Now, in publishing, publishers are known. All you get for most, when you go with a publisher, usually all you get is maybe you get a small advance. What's and, small? A couple grand? Um, $5,000, you know, yeah. a couple grand, 5000 I got 15000 for this new book. Got it. Which so split with Jason is seventy five hundred, but I got to pay fifteen thousand dollars for like production costs and editing. Yep. So it's really funding though, but I don't care. I mean, look, I need a lot of money because I have a lot of kids. I've I spend sixty thousand. Yeah, I have like. Are you at seven, eight, like nine, a, ten, eleven, twelve right now? We're seven today, but we're going to be at twelve within like four, three months. Do you have already have triplets, quadruplets on the way? No, we're adopting five more. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Wait. So, what is your what are your total monthly expenses just on family? It's probably it's 50, 60, 70, It's probably like seventy, sixty, seventy thousand per month. That's, that's per month. <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. No. Okay. We've had and we've had we get parents on all the time. Like we had Carrie Wilkerson on back in episode uh, number twelve, and she talked about how she gets twelve grand per speech now, and how she wrote a book with four kids, two adopted, two her own. Um, it, it is possible. People think you can't do it. It is possible, but it, it's clearly you know it's not cheap and. Yeah, but and also we spend a lot. We we invest heavily in our family, which has also been the main motivator for me to figure out how to grow my income because I've grown it by ten times over the last four years. And is the main and, way, Aaron, that you've done that through like increased speaking engagements? You've grown your list size so you can sell other products. I mean, how do you? Do, what's what have you done? Well, yeah, for me, I'm not an online products guy really at heart. Um, so again, I think for me, having the book out there. And that has led to high-end, two things. Most of it through high-end consulting now. So like five or maybe ideally even like low six-figure projects okay. for companies who hire me to be personally involved in helping them build their outbound sales teams. Okay. So that's, and then the other is speaking engagements. So what's your average, so again, what do you charge for a keynote, an hour-long keynote? Um, you know, it's, it ranges usually from like ten to $20,000. So typically it's like 15. I just did one yesterday, two days ago for 20. Of which, so I have a speaking agent. I get actually, so I personally get seventy percent of that. So I get fourteen thousand dollars out of a twenty thousand dollars project. You know, got speech, it. Speech. Okay, so that, that, that makes that's sense. What, that's why you know, like a fifteen thousand dollars advance compared to, you know, I don't know how many millions I'll make from the new book, but over years it'll be millions. It's like yep. don't focus on the advance. Focus on getting the book done with the right people. The right yeah. book with the right people. Speaking about getting it done with the right people, before we get into my favorite part of the show and before we wrap up, Aaron, I want to talk about. The new book, part one, chapter eight. You talk about changing your current strengths and how that can how they can become a future weakness. Tell me real quick, give me a strength that you had at Salesforce at the beginning that became a weakness as you became a director. Um, okay, I'll give you one example. So again, at Salesforce, I was you know the guy who built this outbound prospecting team and could define this process, and it was so about me because no one no one had ever seen something like this before. That you know, again, I got. Sort of trapped into owning this team, 
And even though I was working to make the team independent of me so I could be promoted, you know, I wanted to obsolete myself so I'd be able to be promoted again. You know, it took me, it's called three years to, to move on to do something different and then to help start the mergers and acquisitions group at Salesforce. So by being so strong at this outbound team and growing it and making it successful, it sort of caught me into it. Got it. Now, same way with a business, like a lot of services business, or if you do consulting, typically, it's like you're so good at hey, what this conversation around like, what's your problem? Okay, here's how I can help. And that at some point becomes the exact thing that will hold you back because in order to scale, and usually it's at the point you have a few million in revenue and you're trying to get you know to maybe 10 or above that. Instead of, you need to make a 180, which is instead of, hey, what's your problem? Here's how I can help. It's, do you have this single problem? If so, I can help. If not, I'm moving on. Yep. Saying and no a, to customers. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a 180. And I go, that's, you know, in the details. And by yeah. the way, um, you can share some, some, uh, the sample or free samples with the audience as well from the new oh, book. Oh, great. Yeah. I would definitely do that. I'll link to them yeah. again in the show notes at nathanlacka.com forward slash the top 118. And Aaron, as people, as, as you release the book, as you keep building kind of this empire, your, your family empire, and your speaking and book and content and teaching empire, where can people follow you online? Um, easiest place is just predictablerevenue.com. Predictablerevenue.com. Great. Yeah. And then Twitter. That's easy to find. The Moto CEO on Twitter. Okay, Top Tribe, do not forget your chance to win 100 bucks right here on the podcast every Monday. It's very simple. You just subscribe to the show on iTunes. And then once you've done that, text me to prove that you've done it. My number is 703-431-2709. Subscribe now and text me to enter. 703-431-2709. Well, with that, Aaron, we are about to get into my favorite part of the show. Do you know what's next? Are these that list of questions? <laughs> hey, dude, that's a good guess. It's time for the famous five. Are you ready? Yeah, it's like right. young people's questions. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not never... that. I'm only 43, but I yeah, can dude, tell. It's, like, no, it's the single versus the... So I was single five years ago. I got married five years ago. Uh-huh. So this is where I'm... Or less. This, I'm going from zero to 12 kids and under five. This is like my, my family scalability is... Are the questions young people focused? I never made that connection. No, no, it's like single person. Because look, at the eight hours of sleep a night, like no parent with the young kids gets eight hours interesting so okay. I, I say i'm just it was just funny because now my whole perspective is shifting so so the first the first question is favorite business book is your answer like good night moon <laughs> i will say <laughs> honestly so um this, the new book so i have two books here one i really do love the new book that we've done i think there's nothing else like it but in terms of what i've read um i have to go back to wooden which is about the you know John Wooden. So it's just called Wooden. It's this blue cover. It's my favorite business book, along with actually the Toyota Way. It's my two favorite books. They were the most influential on me. Top Tribe, there's a lot of great books like the ones just mentioned. One of my favorites is How to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. As I'm driving in the car, I use Audible to listen to the book. It's great. I can just listen in. And I've teamed up with Audible, so I appreciate them for supporting the show. And I've guaranteed a 30-day free trial for you guys, totally free. Go ahead and get it now by going to audible.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's audible.com forward slash Nathan for your free 30-day trial. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? No. Okay. Not no, really. Number three, favorite online tool? Uh, I do I do love Evernote. Okay. 
yeah, I think that's just called Evernote. Although okay. it, it irritates me too sometimes, but it doesn't. Yeah, you know who knows. So, so okay. So here's the one that you had you had the issue with. I'm curious. How, seven kids adopting five more. You'll be twelve. How many hours of sleep are you getting per night? Uh, actually, I probably get like six, six to seven most nights. That's not so bad. Yeah, it's it's not that bad. My yeah. wife doesn't get that much though because she's still breastfeeding at night. Yeah, so yeah. She yeah. might. I don't know what she gets, but it's not enough. There you go. Okay, number uh, last one here. Number five. Take us back. You said you're 43 now. Yeah. Take us back 23 years. What do you wish your uh, your uh, your 20 year old self knew? You know, so I thought about this, and I really, I think I wrote parts of the new book for that person, but you know, it's just think bigger and sort of just go for it. You know, don't beat around the bush. You know, like, what do you want from life? And just instead of thinking, planning for it, or talking about it, or dreaming about it, just try to just do it. Just. Do it. Just, well, Nike said it best. Just there you fucking do it. <laughs> there you go. Well, guys, there you have Aaron Ross from liquidating his lease exchange business back in 2001 to starting off at the bottom at Salesforce, adding $100 million in annual contract value. Now he's a bestseller launching his new book. You want to check it out. Aaron, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Bye bye. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks next Monday. That's better odds in the lottery, people. This week's winner was Jesse from up in Chicago. Guys, if you liked Aaron Ross's story today, and I know a lot of you really did, go back and listen to Anker's episode yesterday. Anker made $2 million at 18 years old, and then he quit for a teachable He's now trying to get a $30 million valuation at 26 years old. 